0: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and I'm really excited today to, to have on two guests. We are going to be discussing big cats, big cat sanctuaries. I mean, this has obviously been something that has been in the news around the world, you know, with the documentary Tiger King. And, and then some latest news, too, in this coronavirus pandemic. I'm joined today with Emily McCormick from Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge, which is based in Arkansas here in the United States. She's the curator. And then also David Ender, who does quite a bit on big cats, but he was a former intern there too. So welcome, Emily and David. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hello. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. So I, I guess just really quick, you know, if you can just give a, a brief background from our listeners, I guess, Emily, you could go first, you know... Uh, where you grew up and I guess kind of how you got involved at
1: Turpentine? Yeah, sure. So pretty much most of, uh, my childhood, I wanted to work with tigers or help tigers or, you know, so I went to school, got my zoology degree. I'm originally from Oswego, New York. That's upstate New York and, um, uh, got my degree and was looking around and, and saw the sanctuary where, uh, there was at that time over a hundred big cats. And I came um, to Eureka Springs, Arkansas to do an internship, not even knowing uh, the background and what was going on in the U.S. uh, with the exploitation of of these animals and why sanctuaries were necessary. And it became a very, very huge passion. I I live my life by it and work to save these animals. So I've been here for just over 21 years now. Wow. Wow. And
2: then David? yeah so I um was studying conservation biology and um took on an interest for big cats and decided to get some hands on experience it's not It's not always easy when you tell your mother that you want to work with big cats um mm-hmm. so saw this internship available at turpentine creek I, literally the day I got there I remember Emily toured me around, and i still nothing really clicked like I knew I was working with big cats, but I really didn't understand why they were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And during my time there, just absolutely fell in in love with this cause and, and saw how badly of a need there was to be caring for these rescued animals, to continue to rescue them. And most importantly, just to spread the mission and the right knowledge about the exotic pet trade and what needs to be done. And then after that, I went back to school, um, and stayed very close, uh, to the sanctuary and all the people at Turpentine Creek, uh, helped out where I could. And, and now I'm your typical, uh, student debt recovery program person. So, uh, (laughs) jumping around right now, um, but still just helping out in every, in any capacity I can.
0: It never ends. Trust me. It's (laughs) years later and still fade off those dig loans. So, Okay, I guess you always ask us like, you know, where would your interest in wildlife begin? But for for both of you, and we can go with Emily first. What is the draw about big cats? And you know, we we see this in in this documentary. People, I mean, they're beautiful to look at and 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 I love and admire lions and tigers and jaguars and leopards. But my goodness, I don't want to jump in a cage with them. So what's the draw? <laughs> So do you want the
1: sane person to draw or the insane person? <laughs> Both. Because no. the
0: documentary definitely shows the insane Right,
1: part. right. So the the sane people, you know, I they're a beautiful creature and they're going extinct in the wild. And, you know, people that want to fight for conservation and try to save them. I, I would say the insane part of it is definitely this, like, macho, typical no offense. Um but uh I have tigers and I think I'm really cool and will it make me famous? And uh so so we just saw through the Tiger King, well, it kinda worked for them, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, I think it's just this this draw of like these animals are so I mean they could kill you. So the fact that these people think that they're so wonderful, they can you know, control the animal, get in the cage with it. And they haven't been killed yet. And that, and that shows this big stance and Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's become just a a huge, huge issue in this country. And also due to the lack of of laws regulating this, it's been made easy for these people. Mm -hmm.
0: So David, I know reading your bio, you know, you got to, and I like to talk about it at some point, you went to Kruger, but, Was this always a lifelong passion for you with the big cats or is it just something that evolved?
2: Yeah. I I don't, it kind of just came out of nowhere to be honest. I I always loved horses. Uh, I thought the Mm -hmm. horses, there's just something so majestic about them. And after that experience in Kruger and just sitting in a car all day, uh, tracking GPS and different individuals of lions and really getting to understand their behavior. This was while I was in my undergrad Uh, taking my undergrad uh, animal behavior course. And there was just something about the way they interacted with each other that was just fascinating to me. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's what kind of kick-started the direction into big cats.
0: Oh, their behavior is amazing. I mean, it's amazing. They're they're amazing.
2: David, correct me if I'm
0: wrong, but you did do some research. Down? Were you doing it in Kruger?
2: So I've done a a bunch of research. I did a, a little bit in the wild over in Kruger, what we were doing is we were trying to create a catalog for individual cats throughout the park. So we mm-hmm. were using both um, GPS, GIS um, software to track them along with different markings. Um, but the, most of my research was during my master's program, where we were really looking at the impact of cognitive evolution and cognitive ecology mm-hmm. On animal welfare. Okay, cool. So cool. that, that was very interesting. Yeah.
0: No, it's the, the more we do, the more big cats we do, it, it, we're just amazed. I mean, just amazed at the behavior and some of the social aspects and, and things like that. So they're, they're definitely uh, awe inspiring for sure. Emily, I guess I, I something we could put up front in the podcast is can you just kind of describe Turpentine Creek because I think there's a lot of confusion right now out there in the public, what a real rescue is or a real sanctuary versus what we saw in this documentary with, with Tiger King. And for those that didn't listen to our podcast on kind of our thoughts on Tiger King, for any listeners that didn't hear that, please understand that that was a drama produced by television producers or movie producers. It was a story they told. So, when I watched it, I really tried to look at it from the animal's perspective. I I mean, yeah, you're drawn into the human side and the human story, but again, from the animal's perspective. So I guess, again, Emily, yeah, w- what is your role and, and, and mission at Turpentine?
1: All right. Well, uh, Turpentine Creek was founded in 1992 by Tanya Smith and uh, her parents, Don and Hilda Jackson. And, you know, a, a lot of places – Um, privately owned zoo, sanctuary, a lot of places started out in the same way. Um, got a, got an animal as a pet. You know, we, we, we saw a different side of, of another sanctuary in that film, you know, from the beginning, but the thing is, is change. And, and so, um, Tanya's father, Don, had acquired a lion back in, in the late 70s and, um, saw this lion cub chained to a tree offered the guy in exchange for a dirt bike to, uh, rescue this, this lion and, and brought it home. And he very quickly realized this is an African lion and and I need to build it an enclosure. And some years later, an, uh, some more people had gotten a lion as a pet and realized this is not good. And Don and Hilda offered to take her in. So that's the first two lions uh that they acquired. And then, um, Years down the line, they had uh, moved to uh, Hope, Arkansas, and one of these characters—not one in the, in the film—but I mean, the, it's the same mentality of these people in the film is what we see on rescues every day. And so, this woman drove onto their neighbor's property with forty-two lions and tigers stuffed into three horse trailers, and and it happened. And there's photos of it. And so, uh, Tanya and her family knew of this property in Eureka Springs and decided uh, that they would come up here, take everything they had, every dollar they had and invested into this property and build some smaller enclosures to get those animals out of that situation. You know, they're defecating, urinating on each other, you know, fighting almost to death for food. And so they did that. And then crazy lady decides that she's going to leave and take all the animals. (laughs) And so, you know, that's when the foundation was formed. And they, they started the sanctuary to where when they bring in and help a a rescued animal, um, you know, that that animal is going to come here and stay for the rest of its life. And, uh, that, that was pretty much the beginning in, in 1992 through those years, we've, we've grown and grown and the refuge, uh, sits on 459 acres of, of land. So the potential for growth is phenomenal. One other thing they didn't touch on in that, uh, in that, uh, docu-series is that true sanctuaries are nonprofits. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, they did a lot to try to, to take, you know, pick apart at, at Big Cat Rescue, but nonprofits, um, you know, are, are trying to raise money to build new enclosures, to provide for the animals, to provide their food, to provide their enrichment, you know, you know, the best animal care that, that can happen. So over the years, we've built, um, quite a few habitats, uh, they range anywhere from 10,000 square feet to our most recent bear enclosure, which is 2.4 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one thing that's, that's completely what people didn't get out of that uh, because it turned the doc, the docu-series Tiger King turned into a reality show basically Yeah, was, yeah, yeah they totally never took the animal's perspective on it. Uh, they never, they showed a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. But did everyone see that because so many people are focused on these characters instead of what happens to the animal, you know? And so it's oh,
0: such a great point, such a great point.
1: You know, I have in 21 years been on multiple rescues, dealt with multiple characters like this,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: maybe even some of them. And, you know, uh, th- this mentality, I-, I do believe that uh, in some sort of way, I guess they all think they love their animals, you know, but um, Mm -hmm. but then the dollar sign gets overwhelmed and and they become just trying to do anything they can to be profitable for these animals. And there's absolutely no thought in the care of the animals or the respect for these these creatures or anything of that sort. So I always look at the animal side of it. I mean, I was cringing watching the series and I think of of a lot of the animals and, uh, being on a rescue and, and going into a situation and seeing this terrified tiger. I mean, there's nothing more heart wrenching than seeing an animal that is just, you know, can totally, I mean, it's so dangerous and seeing this fear in them, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, um, bringing them back to our sanctuary and watching them, um, relax and trust in their environment and trust they're going to be fed and cared for. And, taken care of every day, watching that transition and for those animals is probably the most re- rewarding part of my job. And so for me, that series left me in this like, oh, my God, what about those animals? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. where where are mm-hmm. they today? Which is mm-hmm. truly what, what most people don't look at. And um, and and they're missing that definite fact of, of the animal aspect of this docu-series and, and also focusing on the drama they created on the people and not, you know, what a true sanctuary is, what, what Mm -hmm. big cat rescue and, and Carol Baskin have been doing for animals and fighting for animals for, for many, many years.
0: Yeah. It seems like they kind of glossed over that, right? Like it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, the one thing I, I have to agree with you, And that's what, it it was hard, you know, it was funny because, you know, we just did that that response with with Corbin Max a, a couple weeks ago, and I was taking notes meticulously, not so much, nothing on the human aspect, you know, between Joe and Carol and all these characters, but more looking at the animals and watching. And I remember, I didn't even bring this up, but in the episode one, I think it's about the 21 minute mark. That one place that I don't name in South Carolina where it's a clouded leopard and she is dragging it by the collar across the stage in front of oh. 30 something people. Oh, my yeah. jaw, my jaw hit the ground. I'm like, that is abuse. That is horrific.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and you're right. Who saw that? I did, but most right. people wouldn't. So that's a great point. I guess really quickly, you know, what makes a sanctuary versus a say roadside zoo because We, you know, as we've the last couple of years navigated, you know, sanctuaries versus not sanctuaries, because I've seen it where somebody's private zoo is tagged as a quote unquote sanctuary.
1: Well, absolutely. They're getting they're getting they're getting smart about it. Or so Mm -hmm. they think, let's change our name to this or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of these horrendous places that (laughs) absolutely have some great names. Um, mm-hmm. that that totally confuses people. But for sanctuaries, there is uh, GFAS, which is the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, mm-hmm. and they are accrediting true sanctuaries, not just, you know, the word. It mm-hmm. is, um the standards that they've set is very, very high, uh, much, much, com- pretty comparable to AZA, if not a little bit more detailed in the fact that Not only is it the highest standards for animals, but you have to include your emergency plans. What if there's a a virus outbreak? Uh, Mm -hmm. What if there's, you know, a tornado? What if, and so all of that, but also it has to have a contingency plan, Mm -hmm. right? Because the sanctuaries, if they're true, uh, you know, like some of these roadside zoos, well, what happens if this just, this happened last year, you know, so-and-so was killed in a, in a helicopter or a plane crash, Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to all those animals, you know, that. So all of that goes into the accreditation of GFAS. And right now they're only they're really the only um true acc- accrediting group that's doing that. And that's globally. That's for for sanctuaries, Good. you know, worldwide. And so sanctuaries never breed, buy, Good. sell, trade animals. Those animals, once they are rescued, they come to this is their home forever. This is their forever. And that's, that's a true sanctuary. There's no cub petting. There's no, you know, we're breeding for conservation. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, sanctuaries are generally, uh, most all are made up of, of generic animals, generic tigers, meaning not a purebred animal. So yeah, we, we have been accredited by GFAS. And right now there's only 14 accredited sanctuaries in North America. Oh wow. Um four that have cats and four big cats. So that that tells you something too. You need to do your homework uh before you go anywhere. You know, I'll say that probably 80 times <laughs> um it, throughout this talk, but um and then there's four that are verified meaning they're working towards their accreditation. So there's there's not many out there that are doing it. The accreditation process is every 3 years um for reaccreditation or re-verification. and you know, they're always um pushing you know, but globally there's 191, um, okay. uh, accredited sanctuary. So that, that's the big difference in, in things that people look for. And, and by the way, you know, Big Cat Rescue in Florida has been an accredited sanctuary since 2009. So right. a lot of those things that, that they left, left out of the series. Um, yeah.
0: Creating drama. And, yeah. You absolutely. Know, I mean, that was the whole purpose behind it. David, do you want to jump in and, and kind of talk about your gut reaction to all of this?
2: Yeah, well, actually, just to piggyback off a couple things that Emily was just talking about, I think it's really important for people listening to realize a lot of people are always like, "Well, how can I help?" You know, and mm-hmm. and maybe they don't have enough money to know to donate, and you know, just to go off what Emily said, the easiest way that anybody anybody can help is to just make sure you're going to an accredited facility, um, because that money is going to if, if you're entering or you're paying admission to go to a zoo or a sanctuary and it is accredited by AZA or it is accredited by GFAS, that is your way of helping. And that's the best way you can help. And, you know, the GFAS, you can go on their website or sometimes the facilities will have their accreditation on their own website and just really do your research ahead of time. Look at the Form 990 financial statements, see where their money's going to. So throughout right. that whole film, The biggest – the one time I kind of had an outburst was um, that place that we don't name in Carolina Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying that money went towards conservation. Right. How much? Yeah. How much? And then
1: like – Dave, if if you look into it, most of those conservation groups are themselves. So a lot of times that money is going right back in the back door. (laughs)
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And where I was on the, you know, this morning, just being a nerd um, on the Denver zoos form, financial form 990, looking at how much they contribute to conservation every year. And it's just, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars every year. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's the best way people can help. It's, it's really great that you want to see animals. But if you go to a place that isn't accredited, you're not really seeing animals because you like animals, you're seeing animals for yourself right um so i think that was really important and then a couple of the points in terms of what makes a true sanctuary i mean the reality of it is if they didn't have all this drama would it be three weeks number one on on netflix Mm
1: -hmm.
2: probably not that that's just the downfall of of the film industry but, you know, a lot of those things were really blown out of proportion. They were they were uh, Joe was criticizing the way Carol has her food and water dishes mm-hmm. um, and they focused on that. But I mean, that's how you monitor food and water intake in captivity. Those are important things that you can't not. I mean, at turpentine, they monitor it every single day. They know how much they know how much each animal ate every single day, because guess what? If an animal hasn't eaten in a couple of days then emily is going to start to look into it Mm -hmm. um so a lot of these things were really blown out of proportion to appear dramatic but were actually very methodic and and scientifically accurate in terms of 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 what goes on in animal care
0: yeah it was good animal husbandry is what she was doing yeah
1: go ahead and let's let's just say this that also a true sanctuary shouldn't have to be here so Exactly. Really, all in all, the whole point is for us to get laws changed and and to go out of business. Yes. So yes. the the people that are in that docu series are some of not excluding Carol and Big Cat Rescue. Mm-hmm. The the crazy people are out there that have created this problem. I mean, they're some of the biggest hands in the market of selling, buying, trading animals, breeding, and so if if it weren't for a lot of these people sanctuaries wouldn't even have to exist there shouldn't be we have currently we have 89 animals chris wow. 10 are bears we have 77 cats wow i mean there there should not you know they shouldn't have been homeless to begin with mm-hmm. you know mhm no
0: and i just want to jump in too real quick when we say the the one in Carolina that won't be named, it's not Carolina Tiger Rescue. We did a interview with Katie Cannon. That one is a a real rescue sanctuary. It's That's the correct. One in the they're also
1: they're also GFA accredited. Carolina right, Tiger right.
0: just yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, it's uh, it's amazing the work you're doing. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say there. You know, yes, we'll we'll make sure to point out Carolina Tiger Rescue is is amazing. Uh. They're also, we've also a few years ago formed what's called the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance. And that's also a great resource to go on and look, look into. Um, and so it's all true sanctuaries that are following the same set of standards, the same goals, supporting the Big Cat and Public Safety Act. And, and so that's a, a group of us that have, that have aligned, um, which Carolina Tiger is also part of. So when we say the the word also uh the place in North Carolina, you know, there's a couple of them
0: mm-hmm. that are
1: pretty bad out there. I mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh we we can touch on that later when when uh, we're discussing some laws, but um Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That place yeah, isn't
1: definitely. the only. That character isn't the only one out there.
0: No, no, no. There there's there's a bunch. So really quick on the you said you had 77 big cats. Yeah. Can you break that down by type? What type of cats you have?
1: Um, gosh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Most of them are tigers. Um, it's in the, it's in the forties of tigers. Uh, we also have lions, cougars, leopards, African servals, one savanna cat, uh, bobcats. And we also have ligers. And Ugh. then we have the infamous, um, you know, create your own species, tie mm-hmm. liger. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. Joe and his people. I think they... They used to claim they were going to recreate the saber-toothed tiger if anybody wants a good <laughs> laugh. But, yeah. um, so they found that these ligers, which are half lion, half tiger, uh, the males might be sterile, but the females can reproduce. So now they're mm-hmm. breeding them back to tigers, back to lions and, you know, Ugh. lie ligers, tie, I mean, name it. They, they, yeah. these aren't even, they're not even true species. And then that's another thing I'm worried about with these people. Why did, why did they start making their own species? Is there going to be a way that they can't be protected because they're not even a true species?
0: It's yeah. And they try to, something. they try to argue that ligers were natural in the wild and it's just a, yeah, a bunch no. of bunk. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's a, that's a big um, thing that people, a question I get so often is, you know, what about reintroducing into the wild? Cause that's another spin that a lot of these places will play. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, is they've, They've never released a tiger Mm-mm. back into the wild. There, there's just nowhere for them to go. They did it. IFA, IFA did it once, but it was it was a rescued and rehabilitated tiger called Cinderella. But so when you're saying you're doing it for conservation, again coming back to that point, that that common sense point is how,
1: right, right,
2: especially when yeah, right.
1: the genetics aren't there.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. It, right. Yeah, it's until recently, believe it or not. The ESA, the Endangered Species Act, in section 17.2, um, that's how they got away with this for so long. Because, you know, you say it's an endangered species, how could they be allowed to breed it? Because you're, you're legally by the ESA, you, you're really not allowed to do that unless you, unless you're licensed. And in, in that section, it, the gen- generic tiger, or, you know, when you take a, a Bengal and you know an indo-chinese tiger and breed them together that's a generic tiger Mm -hmm. it's it's not one or the other it's something new they were exempt Mm. um thankfully they they modified that very recently but you know that's that's how complicated the laws are i'm sure emily can tell us
1: much more detail about that (laughs) yeah you know and dave knows that my big thing is Complicated. The laws. There's so many loopholes, but also there's a very, very big problem with who is enforcing them, and and that's typically what we see on a rescue. You know, especially when you go into a state that's supposed to have laws, you know, or you're rescuing your own state that laws were passed in 2005. You know Mm -hmm. why why isn't this being being regulated?
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's a big problem. Do we have an idea of of breakdown of cats, how many there are in the U.S.? I mean, we've done some digging and I think the best estimate I saw was one that I think it was, it was Texas. Like there was 2000 tigers in Texas, but people just under report, obviously. So do we right. have an estimate of like, say how many tigers or lions there are privately held?
1: I would say absolutely not. Yeah. You know, everybody just because it's so unregulated, everybody has a different idea and and along, I mean, years ago, uh, the United States Humane Society came out with a a number of, you know, there's, there's between, between 10 and 20,000 big cats mm-hmm. in the U.S. And, and, and since everybody's kind of freaked out about that. Well, you know, when you go on, um, USDA, which by the way is licensed exhibitors mm-hmm. only. And so a lot of people were going off of that, you know, you have your numbers of AZA and how many are in, in those facilities. There's around 500 or more in sanctuaries. You know, if you're not USDA exhibiting, meaning open to the public, there's no telling how many are in somebody's backyard or the menagerie in Zanesville, Ohio, when that guy decides to release 56 exotic animals. You know, we were on a rescue in 2012 right here in the state of Arkansas. And we get to the property and the woman, we we entered the property with the sheriff's department. The woman actually had no idea how many cats she had and it took us mm-hmm. hours and we had to go back the next day to recount uh, because <laughs> the caging was just beyond, I mean, it was a, one of the most dangerous rescues we've ever been on, but, um, mm-hmm. ends up there was 34 cats, wow. you know, <laughs> and, and most of them were tigers. There was a couple cougars and a couple leopards. That's it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the kind of numbers that people aren't thinking about you know, or trying to deny. So I, I stick with the, I would say five to 7,000 tigers, you know, registered. I think there's almost 2000. And so think of all the unregistered and then (laughs) let's, you know, we haven't even gotten into the cub petting and how many are born,
2: Mm -hmm. you know, which also
1: Mm -hmm. we don't know that, that exact number, but also do they survive? That's the other big question.
0: Right. Right. David, did you have any better data or things that you've been digging?
1: Um, I, yeah,
2: I, there's, I think Emily definitely made a good point. I mean, when I first, um, was an intern at Turpentine almost 10 years ago, during that era, I would say there was absolutely five to 7,000 in the U.S. a hundred percent. Um, during that time I would give presentations and it, it was, I would update this one slide, talking about tigers for sale no one would believe me but every time i get the presentation it was a new screenshot from craigslist Mm -hmm. um since then you know they're smart they're smart people and since then they've gone underground it's very hard to find them for sale on the internet it's pretty much impossible so i think what i'm trying to get at the scary thing here is we don't know it at all um because it's so underground and they've gone so dark
0: well, when I was down in Florida, I, I didn't get to share this a couple weeks ago, but the club I was advising went out to this uh this old woman just right there near Gainesville, University of Florida, and she had I think four tigers and like two lions in horrific conditions and the club was was helping build new exhibits, but those were her private pets. That was right. it. I mean, and it's right. you know, she, and she could legally do that in Florida. So, yeah, it's 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 a huge huge issue here. So, I guess kind of Moving on, you know, why is it a bad idea to own these big cats? And I'm saying that from a standpoint of somebody buying a cute cub thinking, Oh, it's only 500 bucks or a thousand dollars, you know, cost Mm -hmm. of a purebred dog. And, you know, I, I guess if you can kind of talk to our listeners about, you know, how much it costs vet care, all of that stuff that goes into it.
1: Um. Well, our facility, uh, we are, we are quite large. Um, you know, the costs vary, you know, and what, what people don't, there, there's an operating budget, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now we have 89 animals and, uh, our, our monthly budget is 140,000 each month. So, you know, depending on the care that you're giving them now, we also are very fortunate. Um, a lot of our food is donated, so, so we don't have that. The cost in vet care, oh, that just, that varies. It depends on the, on the animal. You know, we've, we have rescued some that are in relatively okay health. Um, they might be severely obese, which is also very detrimental. Oh, but then you have, you know, one tiger, you know, three that were, were severe metabolic bone disease. So the cost of vet care for them has just been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, just outrageous. And so that varies. So on average for us, what we've always said is it, it's about $10,000 or so uh, per oh, wow. per okay. year yep. per, per cat. Now
0: you talked about getting food donated. So approximately how much does each big cat eat per day?
1: That also depends. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just like people to be honest. So um, you know, we might have one tiger that weighs, you know, 350 pounds and, and eats about seven to nine pounds, depending on the time of year oh. too, that lessens. Right. But you know, that another tiger could be 400 pounds and he might only get five pounds a day. Why? Well, he doesn't exercise enough or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. No, they just, you know, it's just like people. I mean, whether they're going to, and then we have another tiger that eats um 15 pounds a day right now wow. and has for the last since we rescued him you know mm-hmm, and in mm-hmm. the winter a few of our cats uh will eat about 17 to to 18 pounds wow wow
0: okay so a lot
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we we went through oh i don't have our exact numbers on hand but um it was over 300,000 pounds of raw meat last year wow Jeez. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so a <laughs> so, lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, it, it's quite expensive. I, one thing I, I was thinking about when you're talking so, about, oh, go ahead, David.
2: I was just going to say that that's another point in the film that most people don't realize is when they, when they only said they had a, they only had like 50 pounds of meat left mm-hmm. for 100 plus cats, yeah. you know. <sighs> It's a lot of care and and that's not something, especially the way that carnivore metabolism works it's not that's not something you can
1: and also I hope you, you know they also really skip over they also mm. didn't put in there you know they talked a lot about this donated meat, well yes, mm. we get a lot of donated meat, and thankfully um you know one of our biggest supporters is is tyson foods, so mm-hmm. um but we we don't just throw the animal a piece of chicken, you know it has to have all these vitamins put on it, you know they need taurine. They also get glucosamine, chondroitin for arthritis, and you know, and and then they're showing in the in the film, here's my barrel of meat, and I'm gonna dump it in the middle of this enclosure. You know,
2: it was horrific. Yeah, and and from a from a welfare perspective, you know, I didn't see much in those barrels that you would feed out. You know, it was a lot of sausage and, mm-hmm. and things that you aren't gonna feed out to the cats, especially with the cats, you have to be really careful again, with their metabolism, the way they store fat, um, it is a welfare issue if you're feeding them the wrong diets, um, cause they'll wind up with, you know, fatty, fatty livers and, and things like that. So, um, just bringing the science back to, to a lot of the flaws in, in that film that they really didn't point out.
0: No, it was again, like I said, I, I tried to look at it from the animal's perspective and processed meat bologna i mean i'm thinking of of all the nitrates and you're right from a physiology standpoint those animals at joe exotics place were absolutely not their requirements were not being met through donated expired meat from walmart it was horrifying horrifying to watch that Uh, oh Uh, and uh, that's probably what you're seeing gonna have Uh,
1: something to say about all this now I'm sure. <laughs>
0: it's like
1: I'm careful on what who I name. I don't want to get a right. lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, yeah but
0: it, and it's not like the, the company's fault, but it was just, you know, that's where they were getting this expired meat from and yeah, it was just it was horrifying. Well, there's
2: laws around that too. Mhm. There's laws around that too. So, you know, it's not there's a number of laws that are broken in that movie. Pretty much all around. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, Emily, is you we're talking about vet care. Can you talk about the ligers that you have or maybe even the – I think do you have some white tigers, like some oh of the, the, <laughs> the physiological problems they might have?
1: Yeah, we have um, quite a bit of white tigers. Um, we also have a few ligers, and then I told you about the, the Thai liger. Right,
0: right. I, th-
1: those guys, honestly – from what we've, we've seen, we've had ligers that we rescued in the past, um, haven't really seen much, many problems with them. You you know, there's all these myths, like nothing actually has ever been proven or studied on them. So there's a myth of, uh, you know, they're, they just keep growing and growing and they get so big that their heart can't keep up with them, Mm -hmm. which, which probably has happened, you know, but there's, there's just real, really no studies that have been have been done on them, and then everything you hear about white tigers is a myth, people. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a color variant, but the, these guys—I'm uh, sure everybody, almost everybody in the world, has seen a picture of Kenny, the white tiger that was deformed in the face. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we we rescued Kenny, um, yeah. and and he he lived lived his life out here, and um, other than the deformity in his face, he was he was pretty healthy. He did get, uh, skin cancer at the age of 10 of 10. So, but all of these guys are, uh, Mm -hmm. cross-eyed some, they all are just not all of them show that, uh, it's not visible to us. So, you know, we have some that are cross-eyed, uh, do I see a difference in them? Yes, I do. They definitely have depth perception issues. Um, you know, like, for instance one of them might come up to the fence for a treat or for his medicine and, and you know might bump into the fence so we definitely see that um i i again there's nothing proven here but we've definitely seen a lot more cancer um in in the white cats at our facility so but we have we have pure white we have then the the other you know just typical white and then we also have two strawberry um or tabby tigers they call mm-hmm. them, which, you know, is even more inbreeding
0: wow. And
1: so there's been myths around, you know, let's just say, you know, certain magicians um that uh, you know, started this whole this is a royal white tiger. There's nothing. It's that mm-hmm. it's fake, you know. Mm-hmm. But people became fascinated with them. So this, you know, everything comes back to the dollar sign, Chris. So then the yeah. breeding just went crazy. Now we, um, in 2016, we actually uh, spearheaded one of the largest rescues of, of cats in the country so far. And I say so far because there's these other places we saw in the series that, that hopefully get shut down. But we partnered with another organization and actually purchased this facility in order to shut it down. And they were dealing, we got all the USDA records mm-hmm. included in that Um, Which was shocking and alarming. And so this facility had 76 or 78 uh, people going in and out of it uh, dealing animals, either bringing (sighs) them in from people or selling them. Mm -hmm. And all those characters in, you know, in the Tiger series were were dealing animals out of there too. And of course, a lot of them were, were white. And they were specifically breeding white because they were dealing with another magician in Vegas, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's what people want to see. So right. it, it's all about the dollar. It
0: is. So how rampant is cub petting today in 2020? Is that still going on quite a bit Absolutely. around the United States? Yeah. yeah, it
1: is. And in fact, our education, our education team, um, and this is again, only USDA licensed facilities. So, which we should have a conversation about, that we um, we have yeah but it's uh, not very well done it's it's bare minimum uh, right and so in 2019 um there were 41 known licensed facilities that are we're doing cub petting with big cats and bears and bears are a whole nother issue um, uh, on on the same set of exploitation so
0: yeah it's yeah it's terrible and and so you david you talked about it's hard to find where they're selling them now today. So has that been really pushed underground? Like it's, it's not so easy to buy a tiger cub now.
2: Yeah. I would say it's primarily people who know people. Like I said, I've, you know, I've spent hours on the, on the internet Mm -hmm. trying to find um, just examples or, or just trying to find what I used to be able to find uh, online. And there's private Facebook groups that are selling tons of exotics. Um, but I, I think it's really a collective, collective things. There's, there's two sides of the story. There's the sanctuaries working together and it's, there's, there's the breeders working together. And the bad I'm, I'm guys. Sure there was some yeah. sort of collaborative mm-hmm. effort. Yeah. I'm sure there was a collaborative effort to, to come off the online because, um, like I said, you'll find anything for sale on those exotic animal for sale pages on, on Facebook, but you won't find a tiger or a lion anymore.
1: I think that's because some laws ha- have changed. I think that, right? You know that a lot of these states that, if I could just talk about that money, money part of it, right? Um, right. Y- you know, when I go and um, speak at conferences or things, I decided that the best way to end my talks is with the dollar sign because isn't that what the whole world's about? Mm-hmm. But for exotic animals specifically, so. Again, I've been rescuing animals with Turpentine Creek for just over 21 years. So years and years ago, and this is back when, you know, I'm trying not to say people's names either. Okay. So right, right. <laughs> magicians, different things are yes, selling yes. animals and they're in, and, and so there weren't any laws regulating this. So people started breeding and selling tigers and, you know, say, say uh, they were making 10 to $20,000 a piece that. Twenty thousand, of course, if it was a white tiger, mm-hmm. and I have this right out of a breeder's mouth when we were rescuing animals, um, basically taking him out of business, and then because there weren't any more any laws, because somebody breeding and say they get eight cubs a year, my God, you don't even have to go to medical school anymore. You you know, <laughs> you're making mm-hmm. a lot of money, so right. then more and more people started doing it. Well, then these exotic and um, animal auctions became huge. And so people were making a fortune. Now more and more people start doing it again, all the way to you go in to an exotic animal auction and you're walking out of there with an African lion less than you can buy your cell phone these days. <sighs> wow. um, so, uh, you know, we rescued a, a lion that was purchased for $350. You know, I mean, and, and people, this is when sanctuaries became so necessary because then they get scared. I don't know what to do with this animal. So now it's gotten even worse. And a lot of those... Some of those states have changed laws and those exotic animal auctions aren't there. And I think that's Dave's point where a lot of this has gone underground. You know, now the big money, the big dollar sign is cub petting. So right. this facility that, that we took over and shut down was making seven to $9,000 on a busy day or a busy weekend with two cubs, you Oof. know, and so they constantly, they're all, they're all working it together because when those cubs are too big to use they're thrown aside and the next ones are right there. They right. were either born there a week ago or they bought it from their buddy Joe and that's honestly I mean we have the records to prove it so and so that's the money now and so if right. there are less animals uh less tigers less lions I think in backyards that's probably true but but because the money's not there anymore the money is in the cub petting
2: at that point people have to realize that it's not an animal anymore the way it's being treated i mean this is a, this is a product it's a, it's a 100% business right so they breed the they breed the cub the cub is the product making them money but eventually you know just like a piece of machinery that starts to wear down the cub gets too big right and so then the then then you need to find well what happens to the adult um and that that's that's just funneling what's going on even more right. and more. And then you got to breed new ones. Right. And it's, it's, it's absolutely nonstop. Well,
1: We heard in the docu series that multiple times people saying, well, the animals disappeared.
0: Yes. That, that was way. my next question. That was my next question. All right. It's just yeah, really quick. So in there, Joe admits this place in Carolina said, and I, and I wanted to get your, your take on this. So uh, sorry. I just, uh, I was like dying to ask this question. Yeah. He said, when they're cubs, that's when they're the money makers. Uh When they get older, they're nothing but a bill. That's right. So what happens to these tigers once they're old enough or get too old?
1: They're thrown aside. So, uh, you know, we, when we took over that facility in Colorado, uh, there was three white tiger cubs that were four months old that couldn't walk. They had such severe metabolic bone disease. Their bones were riddled just riddled with fractures, you know, to, we almost had to put them down. Um, thankfully we did save them. And, if, uh, so that's what happens. And a lot of them don't even survive that. Oh, from what I've been told, I don't know if it's true or not, but I do believe that, that there's a, the maybe that place Carolina, yes. or I've also heard a place in Indiana, which, uh, that character was on too. Yeah. They've, have incinerators. And I've been told that multiple times. So now you're thinking those animals disappeared. Well, they either dealt it with their friend who's going to start breeding them. Right. Especially if it's like a white tiger or a pure white or they disappear. And now another character uh, that we have dealt with in that film um told us a lot about Joe, mm-hmm. um, a lot about some, Behind the scenes stuff that, that he saw. And, um, so we, we all know Joe went, went to prison obviously for murder for hire, but, um, mm. he also shot five tigers in the head. Right. Right. Well, before that came out, we, we were aware that that was being investigated and, and have been told multiple times that Joe would do this and shoot these animals. And then the cubs that were, Quote unquote expired from the cub petting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would put them in the enclosure and then name them the same names. Right. Uh, because why? Then your USDA records are all legit. <laughs> right. Oh, there you go. So, I mean, yeah. this is the loopholes that these guys are doing. So I, I, I definitely feel that, uh, most of those cubs don't survive. Um, on the other hand, I bet. If you were at one of these places, and God forbid, I'm not encouraging anyone to do this, but I bet if you were whispered in somebody's ear there and just said, hey, can I buy that cat after? I bet you'd have a phone number and email yeah. in your hand. Right. So.
2: David, you got anything to add? It's just just that, you know, that's, that's again, down to the numbers. I mean, that's the scary part. You know, there, there's so much called c- petting going on but there's a supply chain here and the end of that supply chain doesn't make sense. So where are all these other cats going? Are they alive? Are they not alive? Are they being transferred? I think it's all the above. Uh We saw that in the film. So it just, it needs to be regulated. We're talking again, it may be a generic tiger, but we're still talking about an
1: endangered species here.
0: Are they still, are they still doing cub petting at like malls and stuff or is it just at their facilities?
1: Mostly it's just at their facilities now. A lot of that has, you know, people have, have gotten the word about and, and don't do. I mean, thankfully there's a lot of people that are, are protesting against that now, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, but we, you know, for another couple of cubs that, that did survive this, um, we just worked with PETA on a rescue. And, you know, they went after this facility in Florida called Dade City, wild things. And uh, they actually just finally won the case to where they can no longer have tigers. (laughs) Sadly, there's still lions there. There's still some other big cats. So these two tigers, I mean, there's video, everything of of Luna and Remington um, that being, doing the cub petting and then Luna being drug around by her tail, almost, almost like she was going to drown because they were doing swimming with the cats too. Cause you can do that a little bit longer. Cause they're likely not going to kill you. Give me a break. So, you know, but then, um, they get in trouble for this. And so Luna and Remington sat at a facility for three years waiting to be rescued. Hmm. And we were supposed to rescue four tigers Two of them, while sitting to wait to come to the sanctuary, escaped their holding enclosure where they were and were shot and killed. Oh, and geez. then then the judge relinquished Luna and Remington, which are now, you know, I mean, way past, um, you know, they did. They just sat there. So so nobody even even if they do make it out of this, <laughs> who's protecting them and, and who's helping them find a home and get to a good sanctuary?
0: Right, yeah, uh, I think I remember hearing that the tiger mm-hmm. escape in florida yeah it's it's horrible it here here's a question, and I'm just gonna throw it out there it It's something Angie brought up in our discussion and and really got me thinking because people would be surprised that the u s is one of the top wildlife trafficking destinations i guess uh, parts uh animal parts stuff coming into the u s new york san francisco l a big cities uh being sold in the black market. Do you think some of these tigers might end up there because there's a lot of stuff with like tiger bone and,
2: and things like
1: Absolutely. that? Yeah, I do. Go ahead,
2: Dave. It's More money. I was just going to say, it's it's still money. Yeah. It's right. A lot more money. It comes you No, know? So it's, that that's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. It comes down to the Any dollar to sign and in the black market. I mean, yeah, who knows what's going on, you know? And I think, yeah. And years and years ago, a group called traffic had put out, you know, when they were first discussing this, that there's more tigers in the United States than there are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, You mm-hmm. know, so when tigers, and I say, sadly, when, because they are going to go extinct because it's going to happen. We didn't, we didn't do anything fast enough <laughs> to help right. save them. Right. We always wait till it's almost too late. Right, um, right. But uh you know, the U S is going to be the number one target for that and and so i mean in 2003 there was a raid in a in a at a property in california that's 2003 so that's some time ago but it was Mm -hmm. going on then in that raid there was 90 tiger carcasses hanging and 58 tiger cubs found frozen in a deep freezer so yeah it's definitely going on
0: yeah okay okay yeah that's what we thought I, i i hadn't thought of it and i was like Dang, that yeah. is a great point because I'm
2: sure some of them do end up there. Well, just to have a quick thing to say on that. This is going to be kind of a little bit of a rant, but the the real thing here is to just keep wildlife wild. And you know, domestic animals, we bred them down from their wild ancestors. We bred them down for specific behavioral traits, uh proximity and picking up on social cues. Right. So that they can be better managed. And along with that, because of proximity, there's not as much of an issue when it came to zoonotic diseases. And the more we're, we're constantly, um, putting humans and wildlife together, as we now see with COVID, uh, there's a lot of risk that comes out of that. There's just a, there's a, there's a lot of risk, right. you know, so you have, zoo, you have attacks, you have zoonotic diseases. Mm-hmm. One thing that I love to touch on after we hit, on the uh, case of the Bronx zoo is the psychology right, of, of both the humans and the animals in what happens with that.
0: Okay. Well, real quick. So right. Yesterday we read that a tiger has been infected with COVID. I, I just read a couple of reports quickly that I think that a few other, their animals had it too. They were coughing. They said that the animals are going to recover fine. But it just shows, you know, that uh, this virus is just horrific. What's going on around the world right now? But I guess, what are you guys doing to protect your animals there, Emily? And and I guess that kind of shows how these wildlife wildlife trafficking are spreading these deadly
1: diseases, right? Yeah, we well, well, first of all, I I pray that you know those those animals do recover. So one of them tested positive, a four year old um, tiger. So all of the other cats uh not the lions and tigers uh, have the same symptoms um but there's so much unknown about this this pandemic right now which is super mm-hmm. super scary and so yeah you have to you know a, a lot of us colleagues uh at a lot of different um sanctuaries were, were like wow um what if, what if this does hit the wild population you know mm-hmm. and and if these mm-hmm. cats recover and i hope they do and when they do you know what was given to them to help them along with their recovery. And would that be possible in the wild? Or is this something that could kill them? So that's really scary. Uh, when this started going on, we are one of the uh, largest sanctuaries that's open to the public every day. We're very, very big into education. So everybody that comes through here is going to go on a guided tour. And they're going to understand about cub petting and get educated about white tigers. And, you know, we want them to understand why sanctuaries are a necessity and why we have to exist. Immediately, we closed our doors. And mm-hmm. a few days after things started getting really, you know, what's going on the stay at home. So we decided to uh, quarantine and I, that means no animal care staff leaves or right. anything on the property. And of course our interns are here and they help us with everything, all the daily care of these animals, everything from feeding and, you know, food prep and medicating and habitat maintenance and things like that. So obviously this is a scary time in in our country and, you know, said, look, this is what we're doing. You cannot come and go. You have to stay on this property permanently until, you know, the risk is over. And, uh, they, all 15 of them were like, we're in it, we're in it for the animals. And so we, right. we feel pretty comfortable and safe at this time.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: obviously the Bronx, obviously it's New York city area, that, that area is, uh, you know, uh, the, hot spot. the, the yeah. hottest spot. Yeah. So, yeah. um, So I think, uh, I think I feel that we're, we're pretty safe right now. We are keeping our distance, you know, from the animals as much as we can. But, but to, to all of us right now, um, it's kind of like survivor. We're just in. Yes. I think everybody (laughs) around the world today. Yeah, Right. I'm starting to understand what it feels like to be an animal in captivity,
0: Yeah,
2: Uh, yeah.
1: you know, but, um, (laughs) but it's great. I mean, we have. We get to go and do our job every day, and right. still, you know, uh, take care of these animals and and know that you're making a difference, and it's just been fulfilling. And you know, so we're very. I feel we're very, very fortunate to be where we are, and the animals at Turbantine Creek are are definitely, in my opinion, safe.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: David, do you have anything to add on the the COVID nineteen uh, infection?
2: I think just yeah it's just a matter of there's there's just way too much you know like with the wet markets and all the endangered species going on with these animals in the wild i mean that's why we that's why in the beginning we went back to the point that we can never release a tiger i mean the problem is still so massive we were talking about well what's true conservation um and so when we're looking at true conservation and finding more habitat and minimizing poaching and minimizing their the presence in these wet markets and things like that you know it, it's still there and this is just a result of that those unmanaged policies and and laws and regulations around wildlife
0: yeah 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 and then you mentioned the psychology so maybe we can talk about that i mean I think people get a good idea on the psychology of people that own big cats like Joe Exotic, but (laughs) (laughs) do they?
2: (laughs) So I'm, I'm, cause I was thinking about this this morning because no one, I saw one article on this and so I'd love to talk about that because I know a lot of people were, I was trying to figure out the best way to explain, you know, people are always like, Emily has a saying of, Interacting with a tiger is like playing with a loaded gun. You know, you're just flipping it around and waiting for it to go off. Uh, but there's also a massive difference when you're pulling these cubs from their mother and raising them as a human. Because, again, remember, I said earlier, they're not domestics. You know, there's universal body language, but there's not. There's a lot of difference between humans and domestics versus the wild side of animals and so i think it's just an interesting comparison because these these animals are so incredibly unpredictable and incredibly messed up in the head when you're talking about development of a young animal and i think it's it's kind of ironic in a way because it's comparable to a lot of the characters in these films you know the number of personality disorder um signs that you Mm -hmm. see in this film are extraordinary in all of them Um, you know, you have narcissistic personality disorder in the film, you have histrionic personality disorder. And what I think is interesting is those all come from problems in growth and development and, and how they were raised as kids. And so I think it's a great way to point out, like, that's the same thing with these tigers, just because you're raising them, the human is raising them and, and, you know, quote unquote trying to get them accustomed to people it's not they're just not normal you know they're not normal from the inbreeding they're not normal from how they're raised and and it makes them so dangerous and so unpredictable
0: yeah it's the the one study that we kind of have an idea of how many generations it takes to kind of domesticate an animal. And it's just that silver Fox study out of Russia, where I think it was like 50 generations to get them to.
2: Right. And they got a dog. Yeah. They got something that looked like a dog. Yeah, exactly. Attempt. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, for sure. These animals are, are definitely not domesticated. So I, I a couple of final questions. Cause you know, we're well over an hour and, and we could probably talk for four. Um, yeah. <laughs> from your, from your standpoint, is Tiger King going to hurt or help
1: sanctuaries? <laughs> mm. Well, It's a tough one, yeah. Uh, you know, I think things like this that, that people are doing, and, mm. and, you know, if we can all feed off of this talk right now of what's a good sanctuary, and I think that definitely will help. I'm very concerned of the ramifications of this film because it bloated these guys head even even more and you know i I don't even know the numbers of how many millions of people watched this but um out of those millions i'm so scared of how many people are gonna think well i'm gonna go buy one now and and did did we start this cycle all over where i feel like we've been making progress over the last 20 years you know what Mm -hmm. i mean
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so that's a little frightening and and i i uh I hope we can, you know, just keep educating people on all of this.
0: Right. Right. David, do you have a take on that?
2: Yeah. I think that this is the biggest opportunity that these animals have had Mm -hmm. and potentially will. It's sort of like Malcolm Gladwell's outliers book where you have this coming out right when people were quarantined, right when they have nothing else. To do but watch Netflix and so I think in terms of a global attention that it's a massive opportunity for the cause right I think it's definitely a hit or miss what I have observed on social media and just based on what people have given me the feedback that they've given I I would say that the the millennial generation gets it right. Um, they have opinions about the people side of the story, but I, there was a relatively, I saw one over the last four weeks. I saw only one post that was for going and petting a tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say that's a pretty good sign. And where I'm coming from with that is comparing to, the last time there was a big attention around exotic animals like this, I'm not sure if you heard of him, was um, the real Tarzan. Yep, yep, yep. When he became popular on Instagram, yep. um, people were definitely all about hanging out with leopard cubs and mm-hmm. baby chimpanzees when he was around. I think that the, the shock that people have received, that there are people this crazy out there mm-hmm. behaving this way around these animals was enough to to maybe shed a little light. Unfortunately, you know, as Emily said and we can all agree, the film didn't do the animals much justice at all. No. I just think that the attention right now is there. And anyone that is passionate about this mission, like Emily's doing nonstop, is realizing that this is the time to really roar, <laughs> right? It is. That's a yeah, good was one. Yeah, paying attention. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. That's a good point. So, are the, so where are we with the laws right now? <laughs> I know they they mentioned the bill, and the bill's like got a very little chance of passing in in at the federal level here in the United States. But are laws changing state by state as well to benefit these animals?
1: That's one of my favorite topics, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. no, it's uh, you know. There's there's a lot of issues with the laws, you know, so uh, the biggest thing is the loopholes that, that are there that people can get around all of this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um So states that have passed laws, that's awesome. Right now, there's still four states that have no laws, Um, but even the states that have passed them again, who's responsible for for making sure that that this is going on? Uh, you know, there's 14 states that require a permit. Let's talk about how easy that is to get one. Um, but, you know, a lot of these states, it might be up to the sheriff's department. There, there's, in fact, you know, I want to I wanna know how do these sheriffs, you know, we saw what happened in Zanesville. Uh, you know, there was a lot of um, talk about that, how, oh, why were the animals all shot and killed? Well, you know, there's a lot that goes behind of what happened. But when you're a sheriff, you don't go or a a police officer, you don't go to school and get educated on what if a tiger or lion runs at you. Um, But that also means that you're not educated in the fact of what's the proper containment for that animal, what's the proper diet. And so we have a lot, that's, that's what's lacking in all the laws that are there and are in place. I mean, again, we got the law changed in Arkansas in 2005 and we're, we've still been rescuing animals in Arkansas, you know, so so there's that. And then you have USDA and, and so many ways around it. And, you know, the, the inspectors for USDA are highly trained and, and they're supposed to be, you know, upholding and enforcing the animal welfare act and, and all of this. But if you're not licensed, then no one's telling you what to do, which that's, that's why we have these backyard breeders, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but also there's a huge problem there. So now you have USDA. And and by the way, these reputable facilities. I mean, when they come and we get inspected, it, it could be four and a half to five hours long. Mm-hmm. But then we're seeing places like Joe's and, uh, you know, these other other places in there. That uh, how, how is this going on? And I I will fight for the USDA inspectors. There's too few of them in this country.
0: Right, right. You know, yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, they some inspectors are assigned to 100 100 facilities or 130 that I've even spoken to you know and by the way they're federal employees and so do some math there there's 365 days in a year well you know if you do the math on vacations and weekends and holidays they work about 220 21 days a year you know yeah. so if you yeah. if you're supposed to be inspecting and upholding um the animal welfare act like then there's not enough time in the day to no. even do no. that and and then there's inspectors that are inspecting exotic cats but they're also inspecting a research lab and they're also having to deal with puppy mills, yeah. you know? So we need, that's the kind of stuff in the laws that I think needs to change. Not only, yes, of course we want the big cap and public safety act to get passed. We have an entire advocacy page on our website that will help you do it. It's a click of a button. It'll send, you know, uh, your, your representative a letter straight from you, but you know, uh, we need it to be a separate division and and people actually enforcing the laws. And, and that's what I see is just a big, a big failure in this country and, and why these guys are doing what they're doing. I mean, all the way from we've been on rescues where there were 18 year old kids that were there working and, and some of these animals were licensed in their name. Or, you know, so and so on another rescue who may or may not have been in that film, We didn't know because we got to the facility and there he was and it was a facility in a girlfriend's name, even though Mm -hmm. he was he can no longer have a license in his name. So, you know what I mean? There's just too many loopholes. And then you have people to avoid their state laws, even if their state has a law, they're actually applying for a USDA license, even though they're these animals are their pets, just so they can now avoid their state law. (laughs) Yeah. Where you know, so it's yeah it's a crazy, crazy circle. Yeah, it's complex. It's very Mm -hmm. complex. I was gonna say I think
2: they really need to just come up with a comprehensive plan and, and at least at least have at least go around with tigers. You know, they're the biggest problem. This is so political, this is so complex, there's so many loopholes like Emily was talking about, there's so much around who's gonna, you know take the uh, initiative to be responsible for all this. But I think that if we, if we started with at least one of the big cats and make it tigers, cause they're the biggest problem, there would be enough proof there to to continue forward. If that makes sense. Yep. Yep. But there needs to be something right. pretty quick. Yeah, I know. I know. I, don't, I this don't know spring- though.
1: I I don't know. I think we got to stick with the big cat thing, Dave, cause you know, we're, we're producing animals that aren't even true species, right? They're producing ligers and Thai ligers. Right. And, and I think that's their way around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we're going to go and protect these and endangered species, well then I'm going to make my own. I mean, you know, one more thing that these guys, I think that are, they're creating their own new loophole. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And this is how complicated it gets. Cause now I'm sitting there thinking, well, if it has tiger genes in it, is it still considered, a tiger, right? Or not. Probably, probably right. so that, not. That's illegally. how complicated it gets.
1: Yeah,
2: right. So, yeah. but they need to do. They they need to come up. I think the point is like they need to come up with one comprehensive plan and give it a try and and, and get it done already.
1: And do you guys think that it's a possibility of this not passing with the Tiger King coming out, or do you uh, think I, more people are going to support it?
0: I hope more people support it. It's just, yeah. it's going to take an election, I think. I don't know. Oh God. Just, yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's another topic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, they had, they had a great, they were saying in the, in the film is like, what happens is, is like, we come in and then the next day they show up with the Cubs.
1: I right? know. I up know. On Capitol Hill. And all
0: the politicians with right. them.
1: They're well. not the only ones. There's a lot of uh, clearly, and, and by the way, I, I've been there. Uh, Carol, um, Baskin, and Howard with Big Cat Rescue. So they're not the only ones that are showing up there with cubs, though. There's some uh, quote-unquote zoological facilities that are also fighting against this Right. that that, that yeah, aren't yeah. AZA, you yeah, know. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, we, you got that part in there, too. Why? Let's go back money. to the dollar sign, guys. Money. 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 It's right. money. And but, they're going to breed it all, because babies bring money, no matter if you're touching them. Or they're in your facility. That, that's bottom line for these people. Then it
2: then it goes right back to like getting really really political. Where it's like a lot of them will say, "Well, it's my freedom and right, Ugh. you know, in a free country." To, I know. To own a tiger. I know. I know. And then uh. and then, you, then then you got to go even more political and say, "Well." It's not a domestic, yeah, it's I an know. endangered species. So is it really a right? Well, no. Uh,
1: we've always said, we've always said that this is about as dangerous as it really is. This, the exotic animal exploitation and trade is about as dangerous as, as illegal drugs and guns in this country. And look, rewatch the docuseries. You have all three combined into one. You should be scared. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of these people do scare me. Uh, yeah. So final question How can we help you in your efforts? Emily and, and oh, David, like you. not just education, but is there other things our listeners can do?
1: Absolutely. First of all, if we mentioned it before, but do your homework and do your research first and, and under, understand that there's a, a very, very serious problem with exploitation of, of big cats in this country. You know, what I've noticed, and I'm, I definitely want to push viewers to our website. Again, there's a e ec- excellent education and advocacy stuff on there. And, and check out our social media, especially during this time. We're trying to go, go live on Facebook twice a day, just so people know what we're doing. Um, but also, you know, uh, social media has made it so easy for people to have a voice, but at the same time, again, educate yourself first. Um, and you can do that by checking out true sanctuaries. Go to the big cat sanctuary alliance. Um see the sanctuaries that that are all part of that go to gfas uh, the global federation of animal sanctuaries and uh you know check out the accreditations and verifications on that and and do everything you can to support sanctuaries and if we all work together, I hope you know one day we can we can see this all come to an end yeah absolutely absolutely i uh,
2: just to piggyback off what Emily said, I would say is just be overall, just be smart and do your research. Make sure that your money is going to a legitimate organization. And not only that, be smart with your money on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, if you need to buy something, Turpentine Creek has a great shop online. With tons of everyday items available, and all that money goes straight to the refuge so instead of supporting Amazon, you can get something just as cool from a lot of these sanctuaries again, turpentine creek has the uh the shop on their website there, and that's going straight to the animals yep
0: yeah. yeah well, thank you both i a uh, long time I mean I know we could keep talking, keep talking but you know went a little long but it's just fascinating from your perspective and i know our listeners are going to appreciate this but i will definitely uh, make sure all those links are on our show notes too so our listeners can go there and go to your website and find uh, the gfast and these other stuff uh david i'm going to put your uh, ted talk on there where you kind of uh, address some of this stuff too so bravo on that but thank you both so thank much. You very much
1: yeah i really appreciate you uh, having us on chris and And spreading the word about our mission and our views. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much.